Welcome to Arcade Attack. <laughs> A retro gaming podcast for up to four players. Sonic Boom! Welcome back, listeners and even viewers to the Arcade Hat podcast. We've got another super guest on today's show, a true LucasArts and Monkey Island legend. It really is an honor to have Tammy Borowick on the show today. Tammy, welcome. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me. No, it really is. The pleasure is all ours, trust me. And we, we, A lot of our listeners and viewers, I know, are huge Monkey Island and LucasArts fans, and we couldn't ask for a better guest. So can't wait to ask you all the all the questions, actually. Um, <laughs> before we get talk about uh, LucasArts and, and especially Monkey Island, I'd love to know, actually, how did you first get into the video, video game industry? What was your sort of pathway? Well, I didn't do... Excuse me. I didn't play video games um, when I was growing up. I mean, I played Pong a little bit, but my family didn't own one. So I had to go to somebody's house and the only person I knew who had it was a babysitter. (laughs) So so, uh, I got to do that, but it wasn't like really part of my life. Um, And even as I was going into high school and college, I really wasn't playing games and my friends weren't playing games. So I wound up getting into the games industry through Lucasfilm and it was purely by chance. I was very lucky. Um, I was about to graduate college and I went to the career center and they had a letter from Lucasfilm saying that they were looking for interns And recently, somebody had written in our alumni magazine, alumni because it's a woman's college, um, (laughs) and the the letter was written by somebody who worked at Lucasfilm and was talking about what an interesting place it was to work at. And I thought, oh, that would be interesting. My major was communication with computer science. So I actually thought I was going to be doing PR, advertising, marketing, something like that, and just use computers for writing on and, you know, I don't know, maybe broadcast. I I wasn't really sure exactly what I was going to do with it, but I knew that computers were becoming big in the world, so I needed to not be afraid of them and know how to use them. So that was what got me into the computer science, my first computer science class, and then I realized I actually really loved it. And I think I was like one class from being a full major, but my but my communication major needed an emphasis. So I had to pick something. So I was like, well, why not that? So I had seen this letter and I thought, well, why don't I just send them my resume and, and give them a cover letter that says, I don't know if you need it, but I'm looking to do PR, advertising or marketing. And within the week, I got back, and it was all snail mail, so this was really fast. I got back a response saying, what would you think about computer games? Wow. And I was like, "Uh, I don't know. So um, I wound up on the phone with them, and, and I said, well, you know, I don't really know a lot about computer games. Can you send me some? Oh, wow. And believe it or not, they sent me some games. They sent me three games. They sent me, what was it, Loom? Oh, yeah. 
indie, the first indie and Zach McCracken. Yeah. And of course they were for PC, but I was in education where everything was Mac. So I didn't have a computer I could play it on. So I wound up going to a, um, they used to have these stores where you could rent time on a computer. And so I wound up going to this computer store and renting time. And I remember it was $9 an hour wow. and minimum wage was like three twenty-five or something like that. So it was like, Oh gosh, you know, for one hour, it was three, three hours of work. Um, you know, and I was a student, so I didn't work a lot. So I was like, oh, gosh, but I really wanted to do it. So I went there with my games and I started playing. And the reaction, my reaction was interesting. And then the reaction of the people in the room with me was interesting because my reaction was, oh, I really like this. It's puzzles. And I like puzzles. So that that really struck a chord with me but what up, what else struck a chord was all these other people who were in the room with, with me renting their time on their own computers eventually were all standing behind me <laughs> and going oh try this try that do this thing which was really good and helpful because it actually helped me get through the games a little faster but i was like they're still paying for time on their machines <laughs> <laughs> So, so I was, I was impressed that it was, it was interesting enough to them that, that they would give up their machine time and pay money to play this game that, you know, I was the one who brought. So it was really interesting. And, and uh, I was just really fortunate that I came in at the right time. Um, You know, I didn't know that they were looking for programmers and, the industry was just starting to talk about diversity and maybe having a different audience. And so Lucasfilm was smart enough to say, maybe we need somebody from a different audience to create a different audience. Interesting. So right place, right time. <laughs> That's what a great story. Do you, do you still have those free original copies of those games or are they long gone, do you think? Oh, that's a good question. I might. Yeah. I don't know. I have boxes of games that sit in my closet now, which I know, I know, I know collectors would be mad about, but but hey, they're not getting getting dirty and you know. that's I assume you couldn't complete all those free games in one hour. Did you have to keep coming back or was it was it just a feel for the games yeah. at least? Or I played a bit of each game. Well, I played a bit of the first one. I played more of the second and third just because those other people wound up coming over. So so I think the first one I played was Loom. And then I went to to Zach and spent the majority of time on that. Because, I mean, really, I just was looking to get an idea of what the games were, not necessarily, like, go all the way through them. Of course, yeah. Um, so. That's Thank you. That's a great story, Tammy. Thank you. Um, sure. I mean, what was the, when when you got into the office? I assume you you know you got into Lucas it was Lucasfilm game back then, wasn't it? it turned to Lucas Arts later, obviously. But yeah. what was uh, the first game you you properly worked on? Do you remember? Yeah, um, I I worked on. I mean, it's not actually a game, but I worked on Passport to Adventure, which was a three pack of demos. 
And it was right after I had finished Scum U. And there were three Scum programmers who were in my Scum U class. There were other people as well, like Hal Barwood was in my class. Um, Brad Taylor was in my class. Um, I think there were some other people. Oh, Wallace Poulter was in our, my class. Um, but there were three scum programmers. So there was Mike Stemley, Sean Clark, Tony Shea, and me. And this demo, this demo disc, Passport to Adventure, had three games and then an interface. So we looked at each other and we're like, well, who's going to do what? And I mean, we weren't told. The cool thing about Lucasfilm is often you weren't told what to do. You were just like, hey, we need this thing done. <laughs> <laughs> so nobody wanted to do the system. Everybody wanted to work on the games. So we wound up drawing toothpicks, kind of like drawing straws, wow. uh, straws, but we didn't have any straws on hand. So there was one short toothpick, and that was me. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so I got the system, which was funny because I, you know, I was the one who wasn't the computer science major. I, I had built a compiler, and I had, you know, I had programmed in multiple languages and stuff like that. But I just really wasn't like a system programmer. But thankfully, it turned out it was just really it wasn't doing the system of scum. It was doing the system of the demo. So it was basically figuring out what the UI would be and trying to make it match what the games were at the time. So I wound up doing that and it didn't take as long as I had thought it would, <laughs> you know, first thing you kind of go, Oh my gosh, what's going to happen. <laughs> and, um, so I, I finished early and I was like, okay, what to do now? And everybody else was still working. Um, the demo had Indiana Jones, Last Crusade and Loom, which were both games that were done, but it also had the Monkey Island on it, wow. which wasn't done. You know, it was, it was still in production and we got all the source code and, and such that they had at the time and all the, the art assets but it wasn't done. So we kind of had to figure out what to do. And that was the one that needed help. And Mike Stemley was working on that one. So I joined him and together we kind of figured it out and made it work. And, <laughs> and you know, that it was interesting because we only could use the art assets that we had, but we had to like somehow block off a section. But the only section that was set was that little dock section. And, of course, yeah. and so it was just really like trying to pull out what we could and then create roadblocks where we could. So I, the thing I remember most about that doing that was not writing dialogue, which I, I used to love to do, but it was actually the troll character we put him on the dock and said, oh, we'll use him to block the dock. But he just didn't look menacing enough. And the dock wasn't built to um, to kind of come in to where he was. So it looked like you had to pass him. So it was like, what do we do? So I was like, I'm just going to like throw his arms around. So I, I went into some of our art tools, our very primitive art tools. You know, we use like, um, oh, I was going to say, uh, 
Deluxe Paint, was it? Or Yes, thank yeah. you. Yes, I knew it started with a D. <laughs> Deluxe Paint. And and I was just like, cut off his arms. And then I used the XY to like rotate his arms around. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> and I don't, I don't remember how I made him kind of appear and disappear. But, but that was all just like, what do we do? How do we make this work? And so that was that was my first foray into doing a game. That's great. I mean, and obviously that that troll character made it into the the real game, didn't it? It wasn't like, yeah. I, well, he was he was built for the real game. Oh, of course, yes. Yeah. So, but you just and made then it I had to take yeah, what yeah. he was at that time yeah, and then yeah. make it work for the demo because we couldn't take anybody away from from building the game. They were, you know, that was the primary goal so so it was just like use what you can <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's what a great story and I, I assume you you did you fall in love with monkey island straight away out of that sort of just playing the demo was it what was your initial impression really um i you know gosh when did i fall in love with monkey island um oh actually you know i'm actually thinking one of the games that they had sent me, and I'm trying to think which one it wasn't, but maybe I didn't get Indie. Maybe I got Maniac Mansion in that first group when I was interviewing because I remember there being a woman character who is a main character. And I think there were actually more than one in that game. That's and I was, really, I was really impressed with that. And so... Monkey, gosh, I don't know. I just, I was already enamored by all the games by the time I, I started on them. At, you know, in between, I'm trying to think when this happened. I think it was after the demo and before I started a real game. Um, Ron had said, you know, you, you just, you don't know games. Right. So you should know games. He didn't say it in a mean way. It was just, you should know games. And Lucasfilm had a huge library of games. And so he's like, just go to the library, pick out some random games and go play them. So I went to the library and I just stared at all these games. I'm like, how do I pick? <laughs> you know, I mean, they were just crazy, crazy lot of games. And some were really old and some were more new and, and somebody saw me standing there and they're like, oh, you should play this one. And they pulled out a game and then handed it to me. And I was like, okay. Well, it was Leisure Suit Larry. Oh, no. <laughs> and yes. <laughs> and it was it was Leisure Suit Larry when you still had to type in what it was that you wanted to do. So kind of like being at that computer store. When I started playing this game, the People I worked with, mostly men, started <laughs> gathering around me. Type it, type it, say it, do it. You know, they were just, and I was trying to be very demure and, you know, do it. <laughs> or, or, you know, try to find other ways of saying have sex in a very, you know, I'm just out of college. I went to a woman's college where we're very into feminism. You know, I'm like, this is just not. And 
you know, I got through it. We made it to the end. But um, I had to figure out the puzzles. They didn't tell me the puzzles. They just yeah, yeah. told me what I should say, how to say it. Tell me, that <laughs> and, is funny. I thought it was funny watching me. You know, in today's world, you couldn't do that. No, no. We, we can laugh, would, but it, it's a bit bit of a naughty prank, really, isn't it, at best? Yeah, yeah. But, but back then... First off, being a woman in the in the games industry was a bit of an oddity, especially not being in PR, advertising, or marketing. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, but being in a tech role. Um, so it was. Um, there were there were two of us in our division um, who were both programmers, and and uh, yeah, so it was a bit of an oddity. And then here I was playing this highly sexualized game, and it was interesting. <laughs> wow, that's. What a great, well, not a great story, but an interesting story at the least. <laughs> really get you. <laughs> wow. Um, I, I've got a tough question for you, Tammy. This, I, I really sure. think this could be pretty tough, but how would you kind of sum up working at Lucasfilm Games and LucasArts? I mean, you were there for a, a few years and you, you worked some huge titles, but what, how would you kind of summarize your time there? We, we can pick apart the, the games a bit more individually soon, but how was your kind of feelings? It was. You know, it, it was kind of the best of times and it was the worst of times. All right. It was a little of both. And, you know, I, I listened to to interviews with other people and, you know, everybody talks about all the good times and they were and it was amazing. And I, I mean, first off, the people, you know, superbly talented people, you know, so creative, so into quality so into the games and making sure that everything was perfect, but they also came with a lot of, um, of, uh, varied backgrounds. So for instance, Hal, he, he came from movies. He had been yep. very successful in movies. And if you haven't ever watched Corvette summer, watch Corvette summer. <laughs> it's a, it's actually, it seems like a, a kind of movie, but you watch it and it's like, I was just rooting for it. Um, and it has Annie Potts and it has Mark Hamill in it. Wow. It's a, it's a good movie. Um, Noah came from pinball. And if you haven't asked him questions about his pinball day, days, you definitely should. He has some really good stories. So there were all these people who had a lot of different varied interests and, and whatnot, but also just really talented. But we worked really hard. You know, I came onto Monkey. It was my first real game. And maybe we had eight-hour days for a little bit, but very quickly those days turned to 10, 12 hours. And that was before crunch mode. Mm. When we got into crunch mode, it was like, oh, now we have to do all of that on the weekend too. And yeah. it's like that's when you start going, I don't have enough socks and underwear. because I don't have time to wash my clothes so I went out and I stocked up (laughs) on all this stuff and you know it was just yeah it was kind of funny but and we had a lot of fun you know we we did a lot of stuff that um that was a unique to my group so for instance um my team did a stop motion movie. Wow. Tim, Tim had somehow, I think his brother, somebody had a stop motion camera. So he brought that in and we face it toward a whiteboard 
And we said, okay, anyone who wants to work at this movie can work on the movie. And we had no script or anything. It was just draw what you want to draw, but go take, take, you know, individual pictures of the screen and, and we'll see how it goes. And we worked on it, I don't know, a really long time, maybe a month or so. And what we quickly found was as programmers, we're not really patient enough to do yeah. like frame by frame animation. So we started like, I'll take like two screenshots of this one or three or four, <laughs> and, you know, and then we'd go to the next thing, which was, you know, really far ahead and, and such. And then the artists would come in and they'd be like doing very careful, you know, okay, now the, the arm gently changes. And, and when we were done, it turned out we had like, I don't know, like four or five seconds of wow. movie. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so it, it gave me a real appreciation for like those stop motion movies that are go that go on. You know, A, the high quality of them, obviously, but just also the patience that it takes to do these things. It's amazing. So we did that. Another whiteboard thing that we did, somebody somebody wrote on the whiteboard um in Tim Dave and I shared an office and and somebody wrote on our whiteboard, draw Tammy. And so <laughs> All these people, whether they were programmers or not, started drawing me. <laughs> I was kind of like mascot. You know, again, remember women at that time were yeah, kind yeah. of oddities. So, you know, here I am. I wear earrings. I have funny hair at the time. I had my hair off to one side. Uh, oh, wow. the, the joy of curly hair is you can do really bizarre hairstyles. So, <laughs> so. People had like all these things and I wore big red glasses at the time. So people would have the glasses and earrings. And it was funny. There was like a, a Warhol of me with the, the uh, quads of, you know, me in different colors. And it, people just took all these different takes and it was artists and whatnot. It was, that was fun. Um, we also had things like, like Hawaiian day <laughs> where everybody dressed up Hawaiian and just, yeah, the um one of the people at Lucasfilm um in our in our division was really good at at a setting up activities for us to do. Uh Alexa Yurek, if you if you want to interview her, she uh, she was just really good at it. Um and she was uh she was our head receptionist, I believe, at the time. And was also the girlfriend of one of our, our team members. And so she was in our office all the time and she would just be like, we should do this. And then suddenly we oh, were doing that and we were all having fun. And I mean, it was kind of, it's kind of funny to think about now that we had something like Hawaiian day yeah. considering we didn't have time to wash our clothes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but maybe it wasn't quite crunch mode yet. Maybe we weren't doing the weekends yet. So um, we also, though, we we ate dinner together all the time. Um, you know, again, if you're working these long hours, somebody would bring in dinner. But we also, at times, would go out to dinner as a group and just get a nice Italian meal at Carlo's. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, it was really nice. It was really nice. We also would see movies together. Um, Ron and I eventually um, started having what we called the, the bad movie club um, okay. because it's easier to tell what went wrong than to tell what went right. 
And so we would go see these bad movies and then talk about them afterwards. <laughs> because, I mean, movies and, and the, the adventure games are kind of similar in many respects. Okay. But we, we hung out like a family. And so, you know, like I said, the best of times, the worst of times, there's a lot of teasing. There was a little bit of bullying, which, again, you know, none of that would fly in today's world. Um, but ultimately, I mean, the division, well, the whole company provided lots of opportunities to learn. Um, the company was always trying new things. Our division was always creating new tools, and new systems. And we were really, in the, in the world of graphic adventures, we were really kind of forging a new industry. So that was really kind of cool, too. But then we also, because it was Lucasfilm, we had special screenings of when movies would come out that they had worked on. We had speakers, um, which was really interesting. So, like, I got to hear Timothy Leary and um, Jane Goodall, which I was very excited about. Um, we also got to go to the ILM Halloween party, which was oh, really wow. fun until it came to the costume contest, because basically you're competing with the costume, with the uh, uh, <sighs> creature shop. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, yeah. like, you might win, but you probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> what was your what was your costume, Tammy? Do you remember? I went as a rocker girl. Oh, nice. So I had like a spiked collar and a blonde wig, or maybe it was a biker girl, and like a red bandana. Um, yeah, I actually, I only remember because there's a picture that I have um, of me. Dave Grossman was a TV, um, oh, I forget what they were called. When the TV, when, when the stations went off the air at night, they would do like the colored bars. And oh, so he yeah, I... on his face, the colored bars. And so he was that screen. Tim and Lex were McDonald's fries and like a hamburger or something. I can't remember what the other one was, but they were like a, a group thing. Eric Wilmunder and his wife were cave people. I mean, they were good costumes. They weren't. They weren't shabby costumes. You know, we did. Well, mine was kind of shabby, but but everybody else <laughs> did really pretty well. They they had been before, so this was you know my first time. So, you know, they knew what to expect, and I didn't until I went. And was like, wow. wow. <laughs> I, I love Tammy. Thank you so much for sharing these you know, quite personal stories, really. And I, 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 that's what our listeners love the most, I think, about hearing the real side of things and. Really is an honor to hear this. Actually, um, did did you ever meet George Lucas? I heard that sometimes he done these famous uh, sort of picnics and stuff. But were you ever involved in those, or did you ever get to meet him or any other big celebrities? He was at the picnics, um, and I actually didn't get to meet him at the picnic. Oh. Um, you had to be really careful with him and with other celebrities. There, when we worked on the ranch, the ranch is considered a an oasis for celebs to go to get away from Hollywood. So the rule on the ranch is that you don't talk to them unless you're, unless they talk to you. So 
I did see George Lucas. And actually, one day he held open the door for me, and I, I actually thanked him for that. Um, I actually didn't know what he looked like before I got there. Wow. I, you know, it was bef- those days before, um, I feel so old, the days before social media. And, you know, I heard about people. I knew he was the Star Wars guy and all that. So I knew who he was and I knew about his his game or his products, his uh, his movies. But I didn't, you know, I thought if I see him, I'll obviously recognize him. And so on my first day, the team took me to lunch in the main house on the ranch. And somebody at my table said, here's George. And I was like, okay. And I scanned the room, scanned back, <laughs> leaned over. Which one? <laughs> and the whole table, like everybody's eyes shot toward me. What? Why are you here? What are you doing? And I was so embarrassed. After that, I knew what he looked like. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, but I like I I didn't know most other people who came to the ranch, and so um, Tony, Mike, and 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 Sean and I we we'd go out to lunch together, and Brad as well. Um, we'd all go out to lunch together, and we'd walk down the the road from the stable house where we worked to the tech building, and along that road you'd see various people, and maybe somebody was walking in front of us, and then after that person went into one of the buildings, somebody would go, Oh my God, I can't believe that was so-and-so. And I'd be like, really? <laughs> <laughs> but the one, the one that I knew was we were eating lunch one day and Huey Lewis in the news was oh, in the, at the table next to us. They, they were busy recording um, in a, the recording studio in the tech building. And um, yeah, they, it was pretty obvious they had been working all night. <laughs> Um, can't talk to them, can't say anything, but I can just like peek, you know, kind of try to sneak looks. You don't want to look like you're looking. So that's that's my big claim to fame. Bless you. No, that's great. Thank you. Um, we've had some other huge uh, LucasArts uh, legends on the show, like David Fox, uh, Brett Mogilevsky, Noah Forstein, uh, even James Purple Hampton. I don't know if you if you know him. He was a tester. Mm-hmm. He went later on to make uh, quite a few big Atari of Jaguar games, and uh, you know it, what? What amazing people! Um, and what, I, I like to ask actually. Obviously, they're very skilled. You, you include as well. But what attributes do you think you needed to be quite successful at Lucas Arts? And are you still friends with like some of those people mentioned or other people at Lucas Arts back in the day? Yeah. Well, first off, I can't think of Brett Mogileski without calling him Egg. It's just. <laughs> And, you know, it's been years since he's been that, but that is who he is to me. <laughs> and, you know, he's had a very successful career, as as have all the others. And, yeah, I keep in touch with all of them. Um, I keep in touch with so many people from Lucasfilm, um, both professionally and personally. So I've, I've worked with Dave Grossman, uh, Casey Ackley, worked at Ari, um, Oh, shoot. And now I can't think of Ari's last name. <laughs> but I, I worked at Ari's company. Um, he was a tester when we were at Lucasfilm. And, and when I worked for him, he owned a company. Oh, wow. um, yeah. And obviously the people 
um, who went to Humongous with me, um, and they they became basically family to me. Um, with Ron, I I worked with him. Um, I was uh, producing, um, or I worked for a publisher of casual games, and he was making casual games. So I was a, a external producer for his game for my for my publisher. Um, but I, I also, I mean, I just keep in touch with people personally. I, I see people randomly all the time and, and, uh, and obviously social media, I have so many people on my social media, so I keep in touch with what they're doing and all that. Um, it's a small industry, you know, so it's, yeah, you get close to the people you work with and, and like the people at Humongous, I worked with them for 10 years. So, you know, the, the people who came from Lucasfilm. So they, that's, it's hard to say that they weren't, you know, they weren't family. Yeah. Um, in terms of you had also asked about what it takes to be successful at Lucasfilm. You know, I, I think, you know, every company says, oh, you know, they need to be smart. They need to work well with others. I think at Lucasfilm beyond that is diversity, I think bringing something to the table that other people don't have. Um, I think that was really a big draw for who they chose. Um, obviously creativity. You couldn't just yeah. be, you know, about the, the numbers, <laughs> you know, the bits and, and numbers and, and such, um, you know, even, even the systems programmers, you know, they, they had to, be creative to build the best tools that would be easy to use, really propel us forward. And I think being a person who, who has a vision for what things could be. So I think there are people who, if you tell them, go make this blue, they'll go and they'll make it blue. But somebody at Lucasfilm will say, well, I could just make it blue or I could make it blue and do all these other things. I could make it hop and I could make it spin around and I can make it do this and that. And, and I think that's a, a big thing, you know, for, for that. And then, like I mentioned before, being able to take vague directions and just run with it. Mm. So, yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, if you're, if you're right, Tam, we can, uh, talk a bit, a bit more about Monkey Island now, if that's all right. Uh, really sure. get results of it. And actually, I don't know if you notice, I'm actually wearing, oops, my Monkey Island t-shirt. Oh, look uh, like that. Look at that. You, what does it say? You fight, and then does it say something on the bottom? Yeah, you fight like a dairy farmer. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not Um It's one of my favorite Insult games. fighting. Oh, I love it. I love it, and it's such a clever part of the game, actually. Um, but I love Monkey Island. I have to say, I couldn't believe it. When I, it's my first adventure game I've ever played. I couldn't believe this genre even existed. Um, and it blew my mind, actually. So I'd love to know, because it's, you kind of filled in a few gaps, because you're working on like, the demo of it. Uh, you wouldn't, So you didn't work on the, the, the early part of the game, but could you kind of fill in the gaps, how you worked on the game proper? What was your exact role? How did you come in? I I came in when it was finishing. So they were really very far along though, you know, not so far along that the demo was easy to decide how to do it. Um, so when we finished the demo, I got put on the game 
just to kind of help wherever needed. So I have like more credits than like Tim and Dave, which is bizarre to me because I have, I'm looking at my list here. I have a credit for art, a credit for testing, a credit for assistance, (laughs) 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 whatever that means. Um, Basically what wound up happening was Ron told me just to play the game every day, just like I was in QA. But he wanted me not looking for bugs, but looking for design issues. So every day, I think Mike also was doing it with me. Um, so every day we we played through the game. And then at the end of the day, we'd sit down in Ron's office and we'd go through our list of, I really wish it did that, this, and this feels awkward and this is really hard and There was one puzzle that was really hard for Mike, but really easy for me. So it showed me that different people think in different ways. So when you're underwater and uh, Guybrush is underwater and there's a a statue that he's attached to. And there's all these, he's attached with a rope and there's all these like weapons around him that have sharp edges. You know, there's knives and machetes and axes and all these things. And you, can't quite reach any of them. And so Mike was trying to figure out how he could get one of those weapons. And I basically just walked over, picked up the statue and walked out. (laughs) (laughs) It it just, to me, that was just the obvious thing. And so we talked with, with Ron about that and he was just surprised at the varying methods that that we had used um so it was it was a good learning time for me because we would tell him what we saw and then he would say yeah we're not going to make that change we don't have time for that that's huge that's little we could oh that's interesting you know he could he could cherry pick what he wanted and it was really educational to me to see what it was that was important to him and and what wasn't and, and whatnot. And then the other thing that I wound up doing um, was toward the end of the game, it was decided, or maybe we had already shipped one version and then I don't remember exactly the timing of it, but at some point monkey Island went from EGA to VGA. Yes. And it needed to happen really quickly, but, you know, we only had the artists that we had. We didn't have a whole, you know, studio of artists. We had a room of artists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically anybody who is free got to work on the art. And I will say I am no artist, (laughs) (laughs) but I did my best to try to replicate what an artist might do and the only thing I remember that I did, because I was just like, there, I'm sure it would be done really differently by an artist. I did dancing monkeys that were used. It was either in the opening or the credits. I think maybe it was the credits. I don't know. It was. And then I think they wound up eventually in monkey two. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, and maybe an artist actually redid what I did because all I did 
is they were these like gray monkeys with white bellies. And so all I did was I took the, the white bellies and I like added little outlines around their bellies of gradually getting darker gray and then the black. <laughs> wow, okay. so it wasn't, wasn't really, <laughs> you know, no shady, no, you know, here's a, 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 a wrinkle in the monkey or, you know, nothing like that. It was just outlines that got bigger yeah, yeah. until it got to the main black outline. Wow. Oh, that's really, really great. Um, I mean, was there any like puzzles or characters or gameplay elements of Monkey Island that were discussed with yeah. you and Ron maybe that, that never actually appeared in the final game? Do you remember at all? Was that, was it too far along really? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, you know, things would kind of come and go all the time. And so basically, like, Ron would get these ideas. He'd be like, oh, we should do a cutscene here. And everybody would work on the cutscene. The programmers would program it up. And then Ron would go, you know, maybe keep this one part, but get rid of all that. Oh, no. <laughs> and then, and so you, you know, you you go and you get rid of all of that, and and of course, when I I was starting, I would just go and I would delete, 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 delete. <laughs> and then the next day he come, you know, I was thinking about it, and maybe we should have that. Yeah. <laughs> and so things were kind of, you know, and so I learned to comment out my code and not actually get rid of things for real. Um. But yeah, I like in terms of individual things, I don't remember them because they were things were moving all the time. We were constantly updating the game, making it better. Ron was very into I learned a lot from Ron about flow and pacing. And so, you know, it was you put something in and then he'd be like, cut this half and move on or. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, good stuff. Um. I mean, why why do you think, Tammy, Monkey Island was so popular back then and still so popular today? I mean, that, not just the original game, obviously, the whole series itself, but it's absolutely incredible, isn't it? It is. It's a little crazy to me. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think, well, I think there's some... At the time, there were some big things like characters couldn't die and you couldn't get stuck in a linear puzzle thread. But I think there were bigger things that were going on. Um, like Guybrush is very relatable. Yeah. You know, he's kind of a doofus, but he's a lovable doofus. Yeah. But aren't we all a doofus at some point? We all make mistakes. So it's, you know, it was relatable in that way. But also the the side characters, the supporting characters, you know, there's a reason that Hollywood gives awards to them. It's because they really help pull you into the game. They're not just one dimensional. And so we had very strong side characters. You could talk to them about non-puzzle topics. You know, there's, there's a rat that, you know, the, there were like three pirates in, in, where was it? Melee, I think. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That you could talk to them about 
what they were doing with this rat. And, you know, they wanted to create a rat circus. <laughs> you know, it's like, kind of like the people who were at Lucasfilm who had all these other interests. The characters had other interests. So I think that made a big difference. I think the, the humor made a difference. I think the game, the games didn't take themselves too seriously. So like the King's Quest, you got in, the art was very staunch. It was very kind of flat and just like, you know, I don't know. It just felt very tight to me. Yeah. And they didn't, they didn't have jokes. <laughs> yeah. and I thought that that was their style and, you know, that's fine. But in Monkey One, you thought you died at one point by going over a cliff. That's right. And it made a joke about putting in, I think, disc 22 or something like that. And then it comes back. And so it's basically making fun of itself. And making fun of the industry. And so I think that's a big thing. And then, of course, it's pretty. It was just a pretty thing. Amazing sound as well. Amazing music as well. as well. But, yeah, it's a whole package, isn't it? Let's be honest. Um, it is, yeah. Uh, how, after, after Monkey Island, you, you kind of said you went, worked on the, I think, the AGA version. But we worked, was there any, before you went to Monkey Island 2, was there any other projects you were in between LucasArts? Or was it straight into the sequel? I I did a couple of things. Um, I worked on a another demo for Monkey for Monkey One. It was a contest demo. Wow! And it was something that I learned a lot about um, because I was told just make it quick. But you know, don't worry about it so much. Just get it out the door. Don't, don't spend a lot of time. Don't finesse it. And I did that. And then QA came back to me and said, you have to enter your birthday, but you can enter February 31st. Right. And I was like, yeah, but it's supposed to be quick. Like, you know, and we went back and forth because I had asked, I had originally asked the team who, who had, whoever had told me to do this, you know, what about, what about making the, the days really work and whatnot? They're like, don't worry about it. Just get out the door. But QA wouldn't put up with it. So, so I fixed it and made it so that, you know, and then what about leap year? And, you know, I had to program in all of that. So that was, it was a good learning lesson that quick at Lucasfilm wasn't the same as quick elsewhere. What certainly wasn't the same as quick in college. Yeah. <laughs> so none of my projects in college were quick, but, um, and then, uh, the other thing I worked on was night shift. I did some, some programming on that. And that was a really fun, a fun project to work on just something really different from the adventure games. Yeah. Um, and you know, again, with each, with each product I worked on, I learned more and, I would talk with the project leads and, you know, they would close some of my bugs as can't do it or don't want to do it or whatever. And, yep. and they would fix other things. And, you know, it was because we had, we had this thing called a D bug, which was a design bug. So it's something that's not really a bug, but we're storing it in the bug database so that it's, it it's not lost. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was basically always something to do there. So there was never, a down really a downtime. Yeah, of course. Um 
I've got to talk about the sequel as well, LeChuck's Revenge. Obviously, at the time of recording, Ron Gilbert's last Monkey Island game, we know there's going to be another one coming out, but that's not released quite yet, obviously. But yeah. what was... Um, what was how how did Monkey Island Two come about? Was it always going to happen? The sequel was it always in Ron's mind? He wanted a sequel. Were you and how did you get your chance, Tammy, to get involved in that? I'd love to know how the initial kind of talks went on for that game. For Monkey Two, um, I wasn't involved in the talks for that game. Um, you know, in terms of the of should we do it or not? Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm like I I don't know how exactly it came about. Um, but my my role on it, I think, came pretty closely directly to the fact that I had worked on that passport to adventure, mm. and had worked on the Monkey Island because Sean went into Indiana, and he had worked on the Indiana project. So. Um, Tony, I think Tony also went on to Indiana and he had worked on Loom, but it made sense to kind of, you know, you got to know the property by doing the, the demo. And I had, you know, talked a lot with Ron doing the demo of, Hey, is it okay if we do this? And, you know, so I think that was really the main way was just to, it was kind of just the natural progression and what was your I think you're credited as both a writer and a programmer for Monkey Island 2 I'd love to know uh, so you were given a bit more responsibility for the sequel is that fair and could you would you what was what did you do on the game time if you don't mind me asking you... yeah well I mean what didn't I do <laughs> um I was the same the same title as as Tim and Dave so we all did the same things um basically anything that needed coding was under our purview. And so I did, I wrote dialogue, um, which, okay, that's not really coding. So, okay, I'll do the coding stuff first. Um, we, we put in animations and objects and sound effects. And we, then we also wrote all the dialogue in our rooms. We, you know, games today are so scripted out and you hire a professional writer and every sound effect is, and then there's a boom here. And, you know, and that wasn't the way these worked. Um, we, we, uh, we were given a, a space. We, we would, we would start with a brainstorm of Ron wants something here. And there would be a brainstorm with the, all the programmers and artists, and we'd talk about what was going to happen there and what the puzzle would be and how it would work and, and such. And then Ron would say, okay, this is what it's going to be. And he'd go, you and you, you're going to work on that. Wow. And then it was just up to you to make it happen. And so I would go in, I would wireframe the room, get the room hooked up to whatever it was coming from and leading to, um, you know, the other rooms, um, put in programmer art so that I could try doing puzzles to see how it worked and what would happen and what I really needed. I would talk with the artist and animator about what exactly needed to happen from my perspective. And they go, but what about if it would, you know, jump up and spin around? Yeah. 
Um, you know, so eventually I'd have the real animation to put in and I'd be like, oh my gosh. But then all of that needed sound effects and I would go and, and at the time we were using the computer generated sound. So I would go through that library and try to figure out what I could use and where it needed to go. Um, and then all the dialogue. So the dialogue was a huge part and dialogue trees and yeah. And you scripted a lot of it. Was it, was one helping out? Was it you given a lot of freedom or? Well, in our rooms, we could write whatever we wanted to write. (laughs) Yeah. So, but Ron, Ron had some of his own rooms and and scenes. He, he cherry picked the the key things that he wanted in a certain way. And he worked on those. He did all the programming on those. Um, But yeah, Dave did his own rooms. Tim did his own rooms. I did my own rooms. And then we had another programmer, Brett, uh, Brett Barrett, who had some of the rooms as well. So like Brett did the spinning contest. Um, Yeah. yeah. And then Brett also wound up putting in all of the music cues using iMuse, um, which was a huge job. It's very advanced, wasn't it, actually? I think it was ahead of its time, if I remember correct. Yeah, yeah, it really was. It was really amazing. What um, Do you recall any particular rooms or puzzles that you particularly worked on, Tammy, you're most sort of really proud of in, in the sequel? That I'm most proud of? Um, Rum Rogers? I don't, I'm not sure that proud is quite the right word but it was one that I managed to get through. <laughs> um, I think I think to some extent when we were designing the puzzle for Rum Rogers that you had to you had to uh, change things while he was busy. You had to swap swap mugs of grog while he was busy in the other room. But he needed to be doing something. We didn't want it just quiet. So he was a talker. I think that might have been based on me. And then I got assigned the room. Not really sure, but maybe. Um, So I was assigned that room and it was a huge amount of dialogue. And I spent about a week working on all that dialogue. And this was back in the day when we didn't have servers. And so we would merge our code about once a week. And the merge was done by hand. You know, somebody would go through and they'd be like, oh, this part, you know, so-and-so did this part. Okay, that's new. And they would had to do each of our code changes individually. So, like, Tim would would put up his code and then he'd take a disk from me and he'd be like, okay, uh, Tammy changed this, so delete all the old code. Okay, Tammy did that, so delete the old code. It was crazy. But it also meant that we didn't have backups of what we did. And so, I mean, I'm sure Ron had backups of of after we merged. You know, I think he would take home or something. I'm sure he did something to have backups. But we didn't have backups of what we had done that week before the merge. So what was on your own computer was just lived on your computer. So I did this huge amount of dialogue for Ron Rogers and just finessed it and made it beautiful and it was awesome and I was really proud of it so getting back to your proud question and then Ron came over 
and was looking at something on my computer and he's like, wow, your computer's running really slowly. Have you defragged lately? And I was like, defrag? What's defrag? You know, remember I had I had gone to school on, on Mac and Unix. So you don't defrag the Unix system. <laughs> um, so, or a minivax, I guess you don't defrag a minivax, not the yeah, Unix yeah. system. But, um, so he's like, let's just run a quick defrag. So he pulls it up and he starts it running. And then he looks, he's like, oh my God, you haven't run this like since the day you got here. I'm like, mm. <laughs> and so he's like, it's going to take forever for it to finish this. So I'm just going to quit out. So he hit the escape key. Oh no! Apparently defrag is not something you want to escape out of, or at least not at that time, because we got this little teeny, you know, little teeny gray box came up on the, on my screen that said fat, what is it? Fat file destroyed. And it had one red button that said, okay. <laughs> Not even cancel undo. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, this was what, 1990, 91, yeah, yeah, somewhere yeah. in there. So, yeah, no, there's no undo. There's no cancel. It was just, we've destroyed your fat file now. So, sorry. Oh, and man. you had to click, you had to actually click that okay button, which was the most horrible thing because. <sighs> It's not okay. I don't want it to be okay. I lost everything. So I then had, I think, like a day before I needed to get on to the next thing to redo all of Rum Rogers. So, you know, it's true what they say that things are faster the second time, but I didn't have time to really give him you know, all of his quirks and fun oh, things and whatnot. So if you felt like his dialogue was boring, there's a reason for it. <laughs> you can blame Ron. Oh, <laughs> there's, there's probably people listening now going, I wish I could play that kind of, you know, deluxe version, the proper version. <laughs> oh, no. Long gone, sadly. <laughs> yeah, long gone. Long oh. gone. Lost and lost. And, and I had to rebuild my computer. And Oh, uh, it was, yeah, fun. Fun times. <laughs> I mean, Monkey Island 2, I have to say, is an absolutely astounding game. Um, I mean, you must be very proud working on it and seeing it shipped and being so successful again. But is there a particular element of Monkey Island 2 that you think, wow, because a lot of people see it as, as one of the best adventure games ever made. So wh what are you most proud of for that particular game, Tammy? I think I'm most proud that I was able to come into an existing team and work with them on on an even level and be try to be as funny as them you know i mean there tim has a, a certain type of just polarity and dave is very witty and ron has his own sense of humor and so yeah it's really and I mean, nobody actually told me, I mean, I kind of, I realized this while I was thinking about this interview that nobody ever came up to me and said, oh, by the way, um, if you're working on this game, you need to make sure that your dialogue is funny. Like nobody said that, <laughs> but I, you know, obviously 
needed to do that. And, and uh, yeah, so I'm proud that, that my, my sense of humor somehow meshed with the others in an okay way. Yeah. I mean, that's a brilliant, yeah, it's a fair statement, isn't it? Because they're three legends in the industry, you know, highly regarded and you, you obviously met met their match, didn't you? So Tammy, good on you, definitely. Um, fair play. Um, again, a similar question, but this is for Monkey Island 2, obviously. Was there any puzzles or characters or maybe elements of the game that you wanted to put in or even Ron, other people wanted to put in but would never actually appeared in the final version? Can you, can you recall anything at all? Yeah. <laughs> um, not that I wanted to put in, but... In our brainstorming meetings, we were talking about the cemetery. Right, yes. And somebody said, wouldn't it be funny if Guybrush held up his hands and all his pants folded? <laughs> yeah, I remember. <laughs> and, you know, me being the diversity in the room. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> like, that's potty humor and... Like, do we really need to stoop there? And I don't want to see what's, you know, the pixels underneath his pants. <laughs> you know, and I was just like, no, I just don't like it. It's just not, I, I don't think we have to go there. And so I fought really hard against it, which, of course, meant that Ron went, you're the one who's going to program it. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, okay. And I realized later that it was really smart. If you have somebody who doesn't like something, you give them the task of doing it. They will do it in a way that's not offensive to them. Yeah. So I made sure Guybrush wasn't naked underneath because <laughs> there was discussion, you know, was it on, and, was, you know, kind of like with kilts. What do pirates wear? I don't know. <laughs> so, Yeah. You know, so I worked with the artist and I made sure that there was something underneath and that it wasn't it wasn't the main focus of what that scene was. Oh, Tammy, that's funny. <laughs> that is funny. Um, do, do you have a particular favorite character in the Monkey Island universe? I know Guybrush is probably the obvious answer, but is there anyone else or is it, or is it Guybrush, for example? Well, I'm dressed like Stan today. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I should wave my arms around. Um, so I, I, I like him as a fun diversion. He was one of my favorites. Governor Marley was, Oh yeah. I think she was probably my favorite though. I have to say as, as a strong female role model, her falling in love with Guybrush, the bumbling fool, yeah. <laughs> maybe not the, the role model that I would have hoped, but, um, but you know, some some women like a fixer upper, so. Yeah. I think that's fair for Guybrush. <laughs> He's got a lot of flaws to him, <laughs> but lover boy, she said earlier. Yeah. Oh, bless you. Um, I don't suppose you know this, Tammy, and I, even if you did, I don't suppose you can tell me. But I've got to ask: Do you did you ever find out, or even have an inkling, what the actual secret of Monkey Island might be, or is that closely guarded by Ron Gilbert himself? It is closely guarded by Ron. I did find out at one point and I wrote it on a little teeny tiny scroll that I rolled up and then I, I implanted it in one of my teeth. <laughs> but then recently 
I had had to have that tooth extracted and the dentist is now holding it ransom. So sorry. And I don't remember what it was because I thought, well, if I write it down, I won't have to remember. There you go. And and actually, you thank you, Tammy. You never know. We might find out the secret quite soon because I'm sure you, of course, you know that the Monkey Island is coming back. Return of Monkey Island. Um, it was actually announced, I think, on um, April Fool's Day, which is quite quite clever, actually, if people know the backstory. I mean, do you have? I don't suppose you're involved in that game at all, but I'd love to know what you what you think. And are you looking forward to it? And any ideas at all? Well, it was a. It was announced on April Fool's and everyone thought it was a joke. And then it was reannounced on April 4th, which is my birthday. <laughs> wow, that's a bit odd. No, Ron did not do that on purpose. But <laughs> yes, <laughs> but I took it as a birthday gift. Um, I'm really excited about it. I think it'll be really good. Um, I have friends from both Lucasfilm and also from Humongous who worked on it and are working on it. And so I'm. I'm just really excited to see what they've come up with. And yeah, you know, I think it'll be really fun. Bless you. Yeah. You didn't know, did you know before or was it, was it all secret or did it was all secret? It was all secret. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, You, so you were at Lucasfilm Games, uh, LucasArts, obviously, for a while. But did you work before you left? Was there any other last-minute projects or games you worked on? And are you happy to tell us kind of how you did end up leaving the company? Sure. Um, yeah, so I, I worked for a short while on a game for Young Indiana Jones, which was led by Joe Penny. Um, there was going to be a TV series that was based on Young Indy. And they had recorded some of the shows. It was basically in young, this young, handsome indie, because you know indie always has to be handsome. Um, he would come across random, famous people and interact with them and change the course of history. Nice. Um, so I, I don't remember all the people. I remember he met Matahari. I don't remember other people, but. It was actually, I, I was really excited about it. I thought it was going to be a really good TV show. And, you know, thus the game was going to be really interesting. And uh, the TV show got canceled. And so we didn't make the game. But then the, another thing that I worked on, though, was I wound up working on Amiga conversions for Monkey Island 2. Um, and so that was really interesting. It was working with, you know, yet another type of computer that I didn't have experience with. And um, uh, we had system programmers. Uh, I think Vince Lee did most of the the system programming for, for that. I mean, the nice thing about Scum is it was a portable language. And so it was able to move from system to system for many, many years and uh, so they moved it over, but there were differences in how it displayed colors and artwork. And and then um, with doing that, I also was doing the um, the language conversions for those games. So it was a lot of fun. Maybe not so fun, and, and maybe not so fun when I deleted everything on my on my uh, computer by accident. <laughs> you kidding me? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I the, because the uh, the Amiga it runs everything concurrently, and so I was 
almost done with everything and just creating backups onto disks. So I had punched in all of my copy star dot star to here. And I had queued up multiples of those so that they could be done concurrently, which was really, or, you know, I, in my mind, I was thinking they were going to be done sequentially. And then I was like, as soon as they're done, I can delete everything on this computer and give it back. So I put that in the queue, which of course is not a queue. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully, they were backups, and I also had another version, another copy. So didn't actually lose everything, but oh, my God, my heart sank. (laughs) Uh, That's how I played the games, by the way, Tammy, on the Amiga, by the way. I played both the... uh, Yeah? Yeah, on the classic Amiga, yeah. So, well, I, I hope you didn't find any major bugs that I made. No, no I loved it. <laughs> um, I like, again, a bit of a personal question, but why, why did you leave, uh, leave Lucasfilm Games in the end, if you don't want me to ask him? Yeah, um, it's a good question. It was, it was multifold. Um, one was I really liked working with Ron and Shelley, so that was that was a big draw, but also. I grew up thinking I was going to be a teacher. Right. My mom was an educator and she she was a teacher and then she became a principal. And when I told her as a child, I wanted to be a teacher, she talked me out of it. Okay. And so the idea of doing games for children was very seductive to me. Um, in fact, I was at Lucasfilm when they did a game for kids. Um, I can't remember his name. He was, I think, like a snail. I can't think of the name of the character. Mortimer, maybe. And uh, and I wasn't on that project, which I was like, ah. <laughs> um, so around that same time is when Ron said, hey, we're going to go up to Seattle to start this company. And when I was in college, I had a bunch of friends who were from Seattle and I had come to visit and I always thought, I really would like to live there. Yeah. It seems like a really nice place. So it was it was kind of all of those things. And you went on to work on many uh, putt-putt adventure games, to, to name <laughs> a few, and they, they were popular, weren't they? They were really popular. They uh, were. Still and, are. Yeah, that's, I think you're, they're still going, aren't they? I mean, yeah. Was it a really? They're on Steam. Anybody who wants them, they're on Steam. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, there there were kind of point and click games, but aimed at a different target audience. Was was it really different working on those sort of games compared to Monkey Island, or was it basically the same but just had to sort of tone down the puzzles a little bit? I know I don't want to be patronising, but I'd like to kind of know your kind of thoughts behind it. Yeah, no, it's um, we started off thinking that it would be about the same, and so we we started the first putt-putt and, and I, I should say it's putt-putt, Freddy fish, pajama, Sam, spy Fox, backyard sports. So backyard baseball, backyard football, et cetera. Um, we had encyclopedia junior encyclopedias. We had Incredible. an educational, um, uh, I'm trying to think what they were called. Um, oh, we had, I can't remember what they were called, but we had a couple of, of uh, educational ones. We also did Blue's Clues. Um, so we started off thinking that it would be very similar to doing what we did at Lucasfilm. And we kind of wired up a, a quickie 
version of the first Putt-Putt game, Putt-Putt Joins the Parade. And we brought in a group of kids to play test. And the age range at this point, I'm not sure if it's still the same, but at this point when we were selling on physical discs in a, a software store, a game store, um, they had the children's set, section set up to be three to eight. Right, which is a really wide range. That is and so they have different abilities. They have different hand-eye coordination. You know, the younger kids don't have great hand-eye coordination. Some of them couldn't read. <laughs> and so we brought in these kids and we started immediately seeing things like they can't find the door. <laughs> You know, I, I was looking at a, a run through of Monkey Island last night, and it's just a little crosshair, and it was just sitting there over the door. And I was like, "Oh yeah, I forgot they didn't turn to arrows. They didn't do anything for you to know." Like in the fortune teller shop, how did you know that you could pan the room over? You couldn't. But in, and so in the kids' games, we couldn't do that. We had to be much more obvious about things. And so we, we made like arrows over the doors and such like that. But they also, we found that they had very short attention spans. And so these kids that we brought in, we had, I think, one that was eight, one that was five, and one that was three. The, the eight-year-old was really driven to accomplish the goal of the game. You know, must get to the parade. How do I get to the parade? And he was just so into it and just, you know, can't click on anything else. Just must do this. The middle kid, they were creating their own goals. So they decided that painting putt-putt was just the most fun in the world. Because you could change his color. So he, you had to, like, earn coins by, by a, a, using a lawnmower you know, mowing somebody, mowing other characters' lawns. So he would mow all these lawns so he could just sit there and just change Pat's color from purple to yellow to red. And then the youngest one, well, she just clicked on random clickpoints and snotted on the screen. Okay. <laughs> By the time she left, and there was this big blob on the screen. It was like, okay. But I think the biggest thing about, about testing with those kids was at the end of it, some of the kids actually hugged the the monitor. Oh, bless. And that you don't get from adult games. Ah. So that was really a nice reward for all the work that we did. Well, wow, what a lovely – well, thank you, Tammy. That's, that's really generally interesting. Um, <laughs> you didn't I mean, think it would be? No. <laughs> I can I confess I, I you know Monkey Island was my big interest but you know what Pup Pup that is an interesting story. <laughs> um, Freddie I mean, is an even bigger story. Are you happy to share that? I'd, I'd love to listen to it. If you yeah, to. yeah, and this is actually the thing I'm most proud of. Um, so I was the first project leader after Ron at Humongous, and at the time that we started the first Freddie Fish game. Um, we were still in DOS. We were in low res. Our teams were about 20 people. We drew all of our animations on the screen, just like in Monkey Island. 
you know, on, on the computer. And about halfway through, Ron saw a game. Forget what the name was. I want to say like Farmville or no, was it? No, Farmville is a different game. <laughs> but it was on a farm and it had Howie Mandel as the narrator. And there was like a little frog and it, it was interesting. And it was colored and it was pretty. And the animations were different and it wasn't in DOS. And Ron was like, this is where we need to be. Right. So he pulled me aside and he's like, I think we need to change. And I was like, okay, what do we need to do? And we talked about all the things we needed to do. We needed new system tools. We needed to get everybody's computer up to speed. We needed to change how, you know, basically everything about how we did the game needed to change. But we were halfway through Freddy. Yeah. And we had to meet our end date. And so I got the team in this really long, empty room. We had a, like, we called it the bowling alley. It was just a long room. And we all sat on the floor. And I'm like, here's what's going to happen. <laughs> we're going to basically rebuild this game from scratch. Whoa. <laughs> because I mean, we were, we were 32240 on, on the screen before we made this change. And suddenly, so we couldn't even use like our coordinates weren't even the same. Everything changed. And so we, and we decided that we were working in windows, but we were working in, we were going to release in windows 95. Wow. Okay. But we, this was 1994. Yeah. So Windows wasn't done yet. <laughs> so Windows is working on their product. We're working on ours. We went, our animation went from the computer drawn animation to hand drawn animation that then needed to be scanned and cleaned up and then inked and painted. And it was a huge problem. And then the animator needed to go back and fix anything that still wasn't right. And, you know, that it was all completely new. We didn't know how to do any of this. Our team size went from about 20 to about 60. Whoa. <laughs> it was crazy. All I mean, we decided that we were, we were keeping all our same puzzles. We were keeping all our same ideas of the layouts and, and whatnot. But everything else changed. And so we wound up being um, the first Win95 game and I think product Wow. Excuse me, in the US. And Bill Gates actually had it playing behind him when he announced the big the big uh, Win95 announcement of we're here, we're everybody should buy it now. He had Freddie Fish like swimming behind him to show how you can use these new tools. But it was it was a little traumatizing. <laughs> it was it you know after <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it. I didn't sleep. It was crazy. It the, by the time I did Freddy Fish two, we had multiple leads. So instead of one person leading sixty people, we had a programmer lead. We had a art lead. We had an ink and paint lead. A click point lead. It, you know, everything had its own lead, and and we had stable tools by that because you know we're all the tools were being rewritten at the same time too. I, I, I guess when you saw it behind Bill Gates, it made, it, it was worth it in a way, would you say? Well, I mean, it was incredible. 
You know, I wasn't there. We had somebody there, but I wasn't there and they didn't take pictures. Uh, you know, it was the before the days of everybody having a camera on their phone. And so it wasn't till more recently that everything is being streamed that, you know, saved on the internet that I, I actually finally found it and went, there it is. <laughs> but I was crazy. told about it. And yeah, I mean, it was really cool, but it was difficult in that if a bug came up, we didn't know, was it our bug or was it a windows bug? And of course we, when we would tell the, the Microsoft people, they would say, Oh, it's not our bug. <laughs> so, you know, it was a bit of a back and forth and it was, it was a really interesting time. Were you guys given like early versions of Windows 95 then? To work yes. With? Yeah, wow. we were working with their beta version. How cool is that? Yeah. That is really I, cool. That is really cool. I, I actually wonder if we were even working with the version before the beta version. But wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, how many games did you work on at Humongous Entertainment? There's a big, big credit list, isn't you, Tammy? Yeah. Um, oh, I, I don't, number wise, I don't know, but. I was in charge of the Freddy Fish stuff for the first three games. Um, I worked on the the first uh, Putt Putts. I worked on Fatty Bear. Um, I helped out with Pajama Sam once or twice. I I did some work on like I was a programmer on you know some of most of these games. Um, the Freddy ones were the only ones that I designed and led. But the other ones I was a programmer on and and uh, would talk with the project leads about, hey, did you know about this design thing? Because <laughs> it's hard to turn off. You know, once you start doing it, it's really hard to turn it off. I've, I've got to ask, actually, it's not on my question this time, so I apologize. But was there ever pressure on you or, or Ron at the time when he was working at Humongous Games or Entertainment, sorry, to create, a, a like not a new Monkey Island per se, but a more sort of adult, you know, back to the original LucasArts style point and click game for the more adult. Was there pressure on him at all, or, or do, you, do you not know the answer to that? Do you mean to create another Monkey Island or to yeah, create well, other adult click and point games? Well, yeah, maybe, a bit of both, really, I suppose. I don't think he's maybe allowed to do Monkey Island with the rights and things, but you know. Yeah, um, I think he, I mean, this is, you know, me talking for him, but I think he got pressure a lot to do like the next Monkey Island and, and whatnot. Um, from fans and, yeah. and such um, to do other games. I didn't, I didn't get pressure for that. I don't know if he did. Um, but honestly, I was just really happy doing the kids yeah. stuff. It was really fun. You know, they're, they, they come with their own set of unique challenges. So. Fair play. And was it hugely different environments than working at LucasArts when you reflect back on Humongous Entertainment? Was it a completely different ball game, or is it a lot of similarity? I mean, I know you, I know you work with some of the, the same people, to be fair, but... Yeah, we worked with some of the same people. Um, it was really different in, in actually a lot of ways. Um, we... We were a startup, yeah. and so money was scarce. Um, there were times when Shelly forgot to sign our, our paychecks 
And I think it was actually maybe because there wasn't the money in the bank yet. (laughs) There were times that you got your paycheck and ran to the bank because if you weren't within the first few, you weren't going to get your paycheck. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, you know, it was tough times. Um, We worked off of folding tables. Um, I remember when I first moved up here, Shelly and I went to, I don't know what it was, like some warehouse store. And just bought these, you know, folding tables like you'd see at a at a church banquet or something. You know, they're just plain and flat. And okay. uh, and we brought in our own chairs. Um, I didn't have a comfy chair to bring in. I had a director's chair. So that's what I brought in. And I don't know how movie directors do it. They must not sit that much because... <laughs> Those things after eight hours, you know, nevertheless, 10 or 12, because, you know, we were on these tight deadlines. It was really uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. Um, We had a conference room, but we had no furniture in it. So we sat on the floor and then eventually as, as we finished games and we started having money coming in, um, we started getting a little bit of furniture. We we would get them from companies that were going out of business. Oh, that's so it wasn't like new furniture. It was like, yeah. like we wound up with this like beautiful conference table. And, was, and, you know, I think a few of us like looked at Ron and Shelly. We're like, what? Why do we have that? Like, we're totally fine sitting on the floor. We'd rather you spend money on our paychecks. You know, and they're like, yeah. oh, no, no, no. You don't understand this company was going out. We got it for so cheap. <laughs> Um, (laughs) yeah. So yeah, you know, we had just a handful of people. We didn't have, yeah, we had the people who came from, from Lucasfilm, but then we had a couple others. Um, we had Dave Timoney, um, Dev Medan as an artist. Um, and eventually had a few more. Um, there's a, there's a great picture of us that we call the Brady Bunch picture. That was the original crew working on the games. Um, Because we were so small, everybody had to wear a lot of hats. So I remember like proofreading, you know, the manual or, you know, looking, going for like a a check on the the game's cover, um, you know, because it was boxed. So the box had a cover and, and, you know, doing some sort of print check on that. Um. Yeah, yeah, we had to keep the game small because we need to hit our deadlines. Because if we didn't hit our deadlines, we'd all be laid off. And we just didn't have that at Lucasfilm. And I think the biggest difference was we were able to make our own properties. And by that time, Lucasfilm, George had realized that he had a games division and had realized that they weren't just capitalizing on Star Wars. So that was the new drive there and we got out of that and made our own stuff. Yep. <laughs> are, are you a Star Wars fan? If I ask. <laughs> I've watched it. <laughs> I went, well, okay. I watched the first three yeah, and yeah. I watched some of the next three, but I couldn't tell you which ones. Yep. And then with there, with all the new ones, honestly, I just can't keep up and, I'm, you know, I'm not a huge science fiction person. I've I've read, you know, Discworld and 
Yeah, yeah so Ter- Terry Pratchett and uh, oh, I'm trying to think what the other one was. The uh, where 42 is the answer, the ultimate oh, well, answer to the ultimate question. Um, oh, Hitchhiker's Guide. That's the thing. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's like I I've read those and stuff, but I'm not like actively seeking those things out. So yeah. I'm just overwhelmed with all the Star Wars stuff now, and Crazy, yeah, that's not. You know, if I was working on something that was it, I would know it backwards and forwards, but I'm okay with not. No, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, you're, you're credited on the special editions of the Monkey Island games, Tammy. I wasn't sure if you worked on those or just because you worked on the originals that you, they put your name on there. Are you happy to fill us in? Yeah, it was. they were just kind enough to include us. So that was. it was really nice. Yeah, yeah. No, rightfully so. But okay, fair enough. No, good stuff. Um, yeah. I've got, you know, it's quite a tough question and I'd love to, you know, we're, we're quite a lighthearted podcast, but, you know, I'd love to hear your view on this because it is, it's a, it is a, well, I think it is a problem in the industry and um, the, the game industry, even today, is still mainly a male orientated profession. Obviously, you know, as a woman, did you ever find it harder to move up the ladder? Did you ever see, feel any discrimination at all? I know it's a bit of a sensitive question, but I'd love to ask you. I appreciate the question. It's it's a good question. Um, and one that I wish that more people would ask and, and that more companies would, would make changes based on. Um, I was lucky. I was really lucky to have Ron. He wasn't my hire fire manager at... Lucasfilm, but he was a humongous. Um, Lucasfilm, I, I probably wouldn't have become a, a project lead because there were people who were senior to me. Um, so when we got to humongous, Ron looked at my strengths and my skills and decided that I should be a lead and, and designing my own games. Um, so that was that was just really fortunate for me, but you know, I don't think, I don't think it's common in this industry for women to be looked at that way. You know, I at times read threads that are appalling about things that go on. Um, But some, in terms of like things that, that should and could change. um, I think the first one is looking and this is for the industry, not for, for consumers, but in the industry, looking at women not as objects, not as sex symbols or fresh meat. Like I once got an invitation to date somebody in a test plan. It was just wow. written in there and I was reviewing it and I was like, nope. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, not looking at us as oddities. You know, it's just, let us just be normal people. Um, I think part of it is also the language we use. Um, not calling women girls. I'm not a, I'm not a girl. I'm a grown adult. So I'm a woman. If I call myself a girl, that is very different. But I am a woman. And so are the other women in the industry. Um, also not using the word female as a, a, a noun. Female as a noun is used in laboratories. Um, 
it's used to depict plants and animals and you know yep. the a scientist will say well this female specimen and that's not that's not me i'm a woman mm. and so using female as an adjective just like you would use male so i am a a female programmer that said I wish that the industry didn't call out female programmers. Yeah. I'm just a programmer. Yeah. yeah. Why? Because we don't call male programmers a male programmer. We call them programmer. So it would be nice to just say programmer, say artist, say designer, whatever, and then use the proper pronouns for whatever that person prefers. Um. I think also creating, you know, it's kind of one of those you have to build it to, to bring them in. Um, and so creating more games that appeal to women and also to gender neutral, because I think we're also missing gender neutral, um, which doesn't necessarily mean pink. Like, stop with the pink. <laughs> you, know, like yeah. just, you know, but it, it's just there's not a lot that I personally am interested in playing, you know, and, and in mass market games. Yeah. And so it's hard. It's like, why would I go into games if I'm not a gamer? And so there's that. Now I do think I want to give credit to the people making games for children and for tweens. I think things like, Nintendo titles and Lego games and Minecraft, like they get everybody. Yeah. They have figured it out how to get all genders. But I think as the kids turn into teens, you know, a young woman, she doesn't necessarily want to play a shooter. And so, you know, or even a strategy game, maybe that's not, that's not necessarily the way that women think. I mean, we are strategic. Don't get me wrong. But a strategy game, there are some, there are women and, you know, there are women who do, and there are groups of women who are gamer women. And, you know, I, that's a really cool thing, but I think it's really, it's not out there. Um, And then I think the last thing is coming up with characters that women can really grab onto. Yeah. Um, but also that men can grab onto. So basically creating a character description first and then rolling the dice to decide what, what gender that character yeah. should be and don't change it based on that. Like my, my first experience when I made Freddie fish was Freddie was actually written as a, as a boy. And when I came on the project, I was like, we have no female leads. So we need, you know, the only female lead we had was in Fatty Bear. He was doing, making a birthday party for the little girl that he belonged to. Right. And she was asleep the entire game. So she wasn't really a lead. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, we need a female lead. And so I asked Ron, could I change this to, to a, a girl? And he agreed. And so I went to the the writer of our script and i said i want you to change everything in the script 
so that all the he's are she's and the him's are hers. And that's it. And I got back a script and she was wearing lipstick and carrying a little shell purse that she dropped and then doing a loop-de-loop was too hard for her. <laughs> and I, I went back to the writer and I was like, 100% no. <laughs> like, I want the exact same script yeah. except hymns to hers. And, you know, I was like, it, it just changed these pronouns. Like, it's just not that difficult. Yeah. And so he did. And that was what we used. But <laughs> it, it was just so amazing to me that that's just not how people look at it and how they think about it, but just, you know, create gender neutral characters and see how it goes. Thank you. That's Tammy. Brilliant. Um, completely agree. Everything you said, Thank by you. the way, um, again, a bit of a personal question here, but why did you leave the video game industry and um, what projects are you currently working on right now? Get what we asking. I left. Well, I went to toys. I loved to go to toys initially. And then, and so I worked at Fisher Price and I helped them with electronic learning toys. I, I worked on the content for that. And that was actually where uh, Dave Grossman and, and Casey Ackley helped with the scripts and, and such. And, um, and then when I came back from working there, I got kind of burned out. Um, I came back, I worked in other parts of the industry. I did a little bit of casual games. Um, but as I was, I was an external person from the team and I realized I really much preferred to be on the team. Um, then I, I did a, a gig at um, Dreambox Learning, which made an online um, learning system. I worked on their their K to two math. And I have to say, I didn't know anything about new math when I got there and Oh my gosh, it makes it so much easier. <laughs> it's really cool. Um, but when that finished, I wanted to stay in Seattle and I was looking around at the different companies and there wasn't a lot in children's stuff at that time. And the stuff that was there was licensed. Right. Yeah. And I can do licensed work. I've done a lot of licensed work, but it's not really the, the thing that gets my heart pounding and, yeah, yeah. you know, my, my mind racing and like, Oh, we could do this. And, and so it just really wasn't something that I wanted to do. And then I also didn't really want to do the grown up games. Mm. You know, it just, I really, really enjoyed the kids stuff. So I thought, well, let me see about doing something else. So I moved into social media analytics. Wow. And it sounds really different, <laughs> um, but I was writing code um, or am writing code. It, it's a, it uses natural language processing. So the code, basically looking for how people talk on the internet. And so I'm using like real language and trying to figure out, well, if this word is close to that word, then they, you know, like I was doing some work for Microsoft and they want to know how their products are doing, whether products are named things like Word and Excel. Trusted. So you can't just 
scrape the internet for every time the, those words come up. You have to try to figure out how do people talk about it? Well, if they talk about Microsoft or MSFT, and then it's, and it's really near to where they talk about Word, they're probably talking about Word. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of strategies that I had to come up with to, to figure out how to get at these oddly named products. And then also, like, how they, they wanted to know, well, do, like, do people think our products are good? And do, what do they like best about it? And I had to come up with strategies to use the English language to find out how people are really talking about it, good, bad, indifferent, whatnot, and then against their competitors. So I was still coding. And then from the results, I still had to make a report, which is basically like telling a story. Because if you just throw a bunch of graphics with numbers on it, it doesn't mean anything to anybody. And so you have to pull out these nuggets and kind of build a story around it so that they can actually grasp it better and figure out what to do about it. That's incredible. Wow. That's an incredible. So you're still in the, the video game, still in the computer industry, obviously, but just away from games. But that sounds very interesting. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I've got two final questions, Tammy, and I, you know, I really appreciate your time today. Um, what, out of all the video, have you got three best video games of all time, basically? Is it, it's a tough question. <laughs> do you play a lot of video games? Um, I play games on my phone. I don't play a lot on my computer. Um, I do simple, casual games that I can just do quickly. They keep my mind active and such like that. Um, I knew you were going to ask these questions. <laughs> this one and the next one. So I, I've thought about it long and hard. And I was like, my, I think my top video games of all time, Tetris. Classic which Ron and I actually used to play against each other while we were working on Monkey 2. Oh, wow. We had multiple, we had two computers and an extra screen, a, a monochrome screen. So we had three, three monitors sitting in front of us while we were programming. We had a, a Mac, a PC, and then this monochrome for debugging. The Mac is where we played. And basically, he had found a Tetris game that you could set which number of the game, which version of the game you were playing, and not really version, which uh, um, iteration of the game. So it was, you know, we would both be playing the same Tetris where the same pieces fell, but we weren't playing at the same time because this was before stuff like that. Gotcha. So, so we'd both be playing, you know, game number 1051. And we would then compare our scores. And he kept winning over and over and over. And I was like, wow, how are you so good at this? I love puzzle games and I think I'm actually pretty good. It turned out he was cheating. <laughs> he had this game had, if you had your cursor in a certain spot, it would put a single pixel in the corner of the, the screen. And that told you you were right. And so, so he was using this cheat 
to get the the pieces in all the best places. <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> yeah. So after that, we we uh, we changed to a different game or something. I don't remember exactly what we did, but I think we changed to Spider Solitaire. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was a. That's my little Tetris story. Um, Sudoku is the game that I literally play every day. Um, I play it every night before I go to sleep. Um, I like, so Tetris is puzzles, it's visual puzzles. Sudoku is also puzzles. It's just, but they're pattern puzzles. Yeah. Um, I like puzzles. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, like match three games and stuff like that. But my third, my third top game of all time, I think, is Pong. Ah, oh, classic, yeah. And I chose it because it's simple and it's entertaining for somebody who doesn't necessarily know that there are, you know, much greater graphics out there. But you know, considering the time, it was a game that started everything. Yeah. And I think it gave us a lot of lessons about what is appealing and what people want to do with their time. So, yeah, I guess those are my top three, Tetris, Sudoku, and Pong. Good choices. No, thank you. Uh, we ask all our guests this time. It's a bit, of a bit of a random question, but if you could share a few drinks of any video game character across <laughs> any game, could be one you worked on, doesn't have to be, who would you choose and why? I have three for this too. Is that okay? <laughs> okay. Um, I I have one finalist, but my runners up are Lara Croft. Oh yeah. Because I think talking with her over drinks about her travels and adventures would be really interesting. Um, Chun Li from Street Fighter. Because yeah. she just kicks ass. Yeah, I mean, yeah. she's she's pretty awesome, and I think she would have some really interesting stories about the people she's beaten. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and she, you know, talking about the industry and women in the industry. You know, she doesn't put up with guff. So, I yeah, you know, she's kind of one of my heroes. But I think the the character I would really want to go sit down and have drinks with when he came of age would be Luther from the Freddy fish games. Ah, okay. Because he's goofy and he's funny and he gets into a little trouble, but he's also just friendly and kind. Yeah. And the voice actor for him is, is a good friend of mine. So <laughs> that also <Nice>. helps. <laughs> but, but he is also just friendly and kind and just, you know, I think ultimately that's, that's what I would want in a drinking partner. Bless you. Oh, three amazing answers. Um, I've really enjoyed today, Tammy. I really mean that. I've, I've really enjoyed our, our chat. I think it's been – well, I really appreciate you being so honest and just sharing some amazing stories, which I think that maybe haven't been heard before or, or, or in the public domain. So really do appreciate your time. I honestly mean it. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you listening and, and uh, the audience as well. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. You can tweet us at Arcade Attack UK. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Arcade Attack UK. Check out our website at arcadeattack.co.uk for lots more retro gaming goodness and to delve into our archives. 
Our podcasts are also available on Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, YouTube and Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review and a rating, we'd really appreciate it. If you'd like to support Arcade Attack, please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash arcadeattack, which will give you access to exclusive podcasts, interviews and other bonus content. So, until next time, take care and we'll speak to you soon.